everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we have a very British twofer for everyone. We're talking to Nick Kershaw and Henry Priestman. I'll tell you more about Henry at the break. First off is the great Nick Kershaw. He's one of the most requested guests we get on here. I don't know why it took years for this to finally happen, but it did. Here's the deal. I think as everyone knows, Nick was a very big part of the early 80s, especially things like early MTV. More in the UK maybe than in the US, but there was Wouldn't It Be Good, The Riddle, this song right here, I Won't Let the Sun Go Down On Me. He played it Live Aid. Uh, the second half of the 80s got a little rough, as it does for pretty much everybody sooner or later. Uh, he did write that huge hit, uh, The One and Only, for Chesney Hawks. And he has continued to make music over the years. In fact, his last album, Oxymoron, is probably my favorite Nick Kershaw album. I think it's maybe the most consistent. I love it. This fall, he has announced that he is going on his first tour in over a decade. Now, we in the States don't get to experience this because we're lame and we don't get to have nice things. But you Europeans, of which we have many, many listeners, you get to enjoy this tour and uh, see him in concert finally. Now, I only got Nick for a half hour. That was a super big bummer. Here, I've been waiting to talk to him forever and I only got 30 minutes. But I took what I could get at the time. It was better than nothing. So we cover as much as we can. Collaborating with his daughter, Izzy, uh, Steve Hackett, Elton John, everything else. Okay? Uh, I hope you enjoy this. I did the best I could with the time I had. He's a great man and a great musician. Called me from his home in London. Uh, okay. I want to lead it off with something I, I think of as like if the power goes out question, because if we suddenly lost power and never, never talked again, the thing that I would want to know more than anything is my favorite Nick Kershaw song is Violet to Blue. It is wow. such an odd piece because it starts out and it sounds almost like the record's playing at the wrong speed. And then suddenly this epic <laughs> choir kicks in and yeah. the coda lasts for like five minutes. And it's the most, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Please tell me about the creation of Violet to Blue. Wow, okay. So this this the whole album was recorded at Swanyard Studios um in in Islington in London and the whole album took a long time, too long probably. <laughs> but I, I do I what do I remember about that song? I remember 
doing playing the guitars on that in in the in the verses because it's uh-huh. it's quite a difficult thing to do and it, it took a long time um but they were they were in the days when i didn't mind spending huge of amounts of time and money on and money yeah in, in recording studios <laughs> faffing about with guitar sounds so sure. um when you're writing that song, like in your bedroom on your bed in an acoustic guitar, do you imagine a full-fledged choir with like every famous person singing on it when you write it? I did. I did when I yeah. I think I did. I, I don't remember writing it. That's that's the weird thing. I remember, oh really? I think because well because um, this was the, the previous two albums. All the songs were written before I got into the studio. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, it was. Um, only one or two songs were written so i was kind of writing them as i was going along in the studio and just sort of i might not have even had a, a, a lyric for this song uh was um when i started recording it so yes i did imagine a, a choir at the end um and wow. i also imagined my mate my friend simon phillips playing drums mm-hmm. on it as well sounds just um, like him huge sound i yeah. love it yeah well, if, I mean, you've done a lot of great things in your life, but that's one of the songs I'm most grateful for. So thank you, Nick, for, for oh, following you. your muse on that one. Um, okay, let's talk about the tour. I've got a lot of other kind of ticky-tack, uh, super-specific questions like that to ask about. But my understanding is um, the fall tour of the No Glitz Just Hits tour is your first tour in 11 years, which... Sh- surprise me because i'm in the states and you never come here unfortunately which really bums me out but i've been following you for years and it seems like you play all the time but maybe it's one-off 80s shows or something like that so is this your first yeah. full-fledged tour i do i do play all the, uh, all the time yeah i'm uh the the full the full title of the tour is is, is uh no glitz just hits and other bits and it's the other bits that's the important thing really because i don't get to play the other bits on 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 most shows that i play they're they're one-off um gigs or one-off festivals i've toured other countries but not the uk for for 12 years yeah i haven't sort of gotten a sleep my band and played in front of my audience and, and got to play all the kind of obscure album tracks and, and all the stuff that that, that that they're into. So, um, yeah, I thought it was about time I did that. So are you bigger in other parts of Europe or other parts of the world? Where is your hot spot? No, I think that the UK is still the hottest spot, I'd say. But Germany was always very good. I'd say, yeah, Scandinavia, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan and and i've done we've I've, we've we've done shows over the in all those places but but not not in the uk yeah believe it or not. it's just the way it kind of worked out i mean down to venue availabilities and promoters and you know my availability and all that kind of stuff it just didn't come together how do we get you back in the states you must get invited <laughs> to play those 80s festivals all the time well, I kind of don't because I didn't. I, mean, I didn't really have a, have any conventional hits. I had a few, a couple of songs that were radio hits, but um, but never translated to sales. So, I mean, I, I do remember playing in the states very fondly. I played. I, I did a club tour in '84, and I, I toured with Paul Young in in '85. Oh, yeah, did all the sheds and stuff, which yeah. was so much fun. And and the, and the gigs were really well received, and it was all kind of yeah, this is going to happen. This is great, uh-huh. and uh-huh. it's kind of, and it just kind of didn't. Mm. So I, uh, you know, and I don't uh, beat myself up about it. But the the but you know, I'd love to play o- over there, but 
it's kind of i don't know where my audience is i, I really oh. and, I don't, and the more to, more to the point i don't know i don't know if promoters know where my audience is so that's kind of why it's kind of unlikely to happen now there's always been to me a real ambitious streak to your music i mean even you know you start playing the album like the riddle and it doesn't sound conventional nothing is you know a quick four minute pop song there's more stuff going on and that's always been your thing for better or worse and i wonder yeah. if that is what halted some momentum maybe in the states is that what kept you from being a bigger deal yeah possibly i don't think mca really got me in the states mm -hmm. no i mean i was signed in the uk and an mca fundamentally was a pop r&b label mm -hmm. really so i yeah, I don't really think they knew what I was about. That that might have been part of the issue, but I wouldn't. You know, I'm not, not throwing them under the bus. That's sure. just that's just the way it worked out. Um, yeah, I don't know this. You know, you, we can say what if that 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 you know yeah. they hadn't done that edit, and what if we that I was in that you know, got that radio show when yeah. when, I, when we, I could have done or TV show or whatever. And, if i got letterman what if this what what that and the other but it didn't so you know okay that's just the way it was so i think i've always wondered i know that mark king plays on uh the riddle album does he play on the whole thing because it's out of the gate when don quixote comes on mm. that sounds exactly like mark king on bass No, that's 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 a sequencer on on, on bass. Uh, really? Mark only plays on one record, on one track actually. Okay, that's what I wondered. The track easy, yeah. Really, that's it. Okay, that's it. Because the rest was um was mostly finished actually. When I when I bumped because I hadn't met Mark up to that point when I was recording that album and that, uh, we were doing a TV show in the UK and it, he tapped me on the shoulder and mm. just says, "Look, hello, mate. Um, got anything I can play on?" And yeah. I didn't. Really? So I wrote, I wrote easy for him. Yeah, oh, wow. that's pretty much the last, the last track we did, I think.
Okay. I've always wondered where he fit in on that album. Speaking of fitting in, so a few years ago, I had Julian Mendelssohn on here, and we were talking about you. We've t- I've talked about you with a few people, Andy Richards, others. Anyway, Julian made it a point to say when we were talking that you are one of the few actual musical geniuses that he's worked with. He said that's a term that gets thrown around, and you would think some of the people – some people that you think are geniuses are not actually geniuses. However, Nick Kershaw is one of the musical geniuses. Wow. And I, okay. I wondered, and that kind of, no offense to you, that that kind of took me back. I was surprised yeah. to hear him say that. He, and, he, uh, was, he was smoking a lot of drugs at the time. Maybe that <laughs> might, have, it might have had something to do with it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, the drugs were especially good to you and to Julian then, because he made yeah. it a point of saying that. Um, <laughs> I I have to admit, Oxymoron, on your last album might be my favorite Nick Kershaw album, start to finish. Check it out, look at what's going on out there. It's chilly and choppy and checking it down. Locking in, chicken out, traveling nowhere. Cause I think we might sink and I think we might drown. Oh, I'm so thankful we're safe and we're sound inside. So why would we go and give it up for the Speaking of musical genius, are you going to be able to play some of that when you go out on the bits part of the tour? Do you think? Um, possibly. Yeah. I, to okay. be honest, I haven't. I mean, the, the, it's it's you know September, so I haven't absolutely firmed okay. up a set list in my mind. I mean, there's obviously yeah. tracks that choose themselves, but yeah, we didn't get to do an oxymoron tour, so that there will probably be a, a couple of tracks. Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love that album. What is it like at this? Th- I mean, so you know this. The first two albums are huge. Radio's mm. Musicola, and it's almost like there's a pre-Live Aid part of your portion, part of your career, and a post. And that Live Aid was almost like the pinnacle, and after that, it becomes tapering success. And that's true for everybody. That's not just true. I mean, everybody has yeah. that arc to their career. Yeah. When you sense that happening and you continue throughout the rest of the 80s and into the 90s to make new music, is it, are you, at that point, do you just think, you know what, I don't know who's going to buy this anyway, so I'm going to do what I want to do? Or do you find yourself chasing or trying to get the thing on the radio? Yeah, I kind of, I didn't question any of it really, because I didn't question it. When I was making the first album, I wasn't um, aware of of do, m- making a record that people were going to buy. I mean, I was, I was, I, I had a a major record label lavishing time and, and money on me, which so that's always a kind of a good sign. And I was, and everybody around me was convincing me it was all going to happen and it was going to be great. Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm. 
but um i didn't approach the third album any differently really mm. i kind of um it, it was it's sort of, i've always gone into the studio and recorded uh, and just made the best record i could make yeah really and that and yeah. that's what happened with that i think um, i mean it was clear at the time that uh, you know things were were on the decline a little bit right. as far as right. my, my my numbers were concerned but that didn't kind of bother me at the time i kind of because it was you know i was kind of a bit stressed and uncomfortable with with the amount of attention um oh, really and the intensity oh. of the tension i got with the first two albums so i kind okay. of i found it quite difficult to deal with so i was kind of cool with just sort of it calming down a little bit that was all right you know and then it calmed down a bit more <laughs> <laughs> a little too calm for some a little too calm with the fourth album at which point i decided um i don't want to do this anymore i'm, I'm just going to write and produce for other people so that was what i was curious obviously you wrote the one and only I moved to my family moved to England in 1991 and um, right after I graduated from high school and the Chesney Hawks thing was happening around that summer. That was the like yeah. Brian Adams summer and everything yeah. else. That's when we moved there. And I've never quite understood what the deal with Chesney Hawks was. It felt, it seems like a little bit of a flash in the pan. I think his dad was connected. And so a lot of the right famous people kind of came together to help make his career happen um did that song and the success of chesney at that time sort of keep you afloat or were there lean periods in the 90s where it's like man like you were saying this is a little too calm for me okay well f first of all let me put the record straight about chesney i mean yeah because ches when when i met him and he was 18 years old i guess he was already I think CBS had offered him a deal at one point or whatever. He was already writing and, and, and doing his own thing. Okay, good. Um, he just ended up getting himself in a, in a movie with Roger Daltrey and his first album was, was a soundtrack album, a lot of which had nothing to do with him. So, okay. and, and, the, and, and the, the issue he had was that, that was probably the worst thing that could ever happen to him was a massive hit single from mm -hmm. that somebody else had written which is what happened to him. Um, and, but he's, but I've, he's a dear friend and he's continued to grow and he's a great writer and he's an amazing singer. And he's, he's, he never really got his chance. 
to to shine and maybe that might you know that may, maybe that will still come i that, that's it's so that's interesting possible. to hear you say that nick because I, that's what i've heard from almost everyone who's been on here who has mentioned yeah. him and uh we just don't see that over here we just no. know of like one big hit in 91 that you know this guy and that was it so it's fascinating to hear you say that anyway continue sorry mm. to interrupt so um yes uh, that's that song has been very good to me obviously yeah. over the years but there yeah there was a there was a time at the end of the 90s when i was not struggling exactly but we're thinking about you know maybe getting a proper job <laughs> really Ooh, that's gonna <laughs> no, be not. hard <laughs> no i no, no, i mean i don't think it ever, ever came to that um, i am i am basically unemployable so i couldn't <laughs> I, 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 I wonder what you would have done well like become you know, a mail carrier or something that's a good question i remember <laughs> back in back in the sort of late 70s when i when i was in a, a functions band and, and work dried up I, I decided i was going to try and um sell cars or oh, I, really? gonna, <laughs> I went I, I, I applied for some jobs at car salesmen and stuff and I, they were just kind of basically i wasn't i wasn't a big enough charlatan to, to yeah. sell cars i think they figured that out oh. quite early on so i wasn't any good at that so i don't know maybe i'll go into sort of you know maybe a shoe salesman like nigel mm. tuff possibly mm -hmm. okay but um <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know no i yeah and then the, so it got the a little lean but you were okay it, it, it got a little lean but then the 2000s came and and i started recording again and just enjoying myself again and 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 playing again and playing mm -hmm. gigs and and it's all been really, really healthy since then. Good. Really. Good. Yeah, I'm very lucky. One of my other favorite songs of yours is Wounded, off To Be oh, Frank okay. from the early 2000s. Yeah. And I like that there's sort of like a Latin rhythm feel to that. Again, going back to this the idea of you being more ambitious than the usual, and like, I don't know, some 80s synth pop hit maker or whatever. Not that that's what you were necessarily, but you know what I mean? There's just more going on there. One thing I've always wanted, by the way, did you, I think I saw on Facebook yesterday or the day before that it was, I think the 40th anniversary of human racing was this week or something. Did you know that? 39th I think. 39th 39th anniversary that's it yeah yeah, yeah. crazy right I okay know, something, yeah. something i've always wondered why is the danny hutton hit hitters version of wouldn't it be good on the pretty and pink soundtrack and not yours
Well, now, now, now you're asking me questions I don't know the answer to. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I thought. Well, because it, okay. it's, I've always, you know, this, we, we were all scratching our heads at the time. I think because, you know, MCA were trying to break me in the states yeah. around about this time, and then they, I, I must have some somebody must have okayed the, the the recording of. No, I no, there would be no reason why I would have been told about it because once my my version had been released, the song is public domain, so anybody can record it, right? So somebody made the decision to to do that. I don't even know if MCA knew about it because it was nothing to do with MCA, but or was it? I don't know who Danny Hutton and the Hitters rec- uh, were signed I to. I don't know. Just weird. anyway. In fact, I think yeah. today is the thirty seventh anniversary of that soundtrack or something like that a lot of big week for you nick anyway (laughs) so you don't know no one came to you and said we want to use wouldn't it be good you're like well i'm not giving you my version and so someone goes out and covers it and that's the one no none of that it just it just came out i mean like you like you said it's a 37 it's a couple of years after it came out over here so yeah yeah who knows weird that's a (laughs) weird one i've always wondered what the story with that was Okay, I want to let you know we have some Patreon supporters, and I always let them know who I'm interviewing, and if they want to submit questions, they can. And you've been one of the most requested guests we've had over the years, and this is we're going wow. coming up on eight years now. So there were a few, and I've incorporated some into our conversation already, but uh, I, there were a few I wanted to throw at you. One is from Matthew Quinlan. He wants to know specifically what the, he wants you to explain what the riddle even is. He said, I remember Nick okay. saying at the time to look at Marcel Duchamp, but that didn't help, <laughs> to be honest. Is what Matthew said, and so I can think, you explain yeah, I yourself. A, well, that 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 particular Marcel Duchamp thing is is quite pretentious, really. I think I even mentioned him on the album cover somewhere. Um, I think well, Marcel Duchamp, he was famous for um, for displaying a toilet seat or or, or a, a, ur- a urinal just to uh, um, just to see what people thought of it. You know, found um, art, right? Yeah, so people people would turn up with the, with their glasses of champagne at the uh-huh. premiers and, and say lots <laughs> of ridiculous things about this toilet seat, which he th- which he thought was quite interesting. But I don't know um, <laughs> if that really connects with what I'm talking about. But the riddle really was kind of it just kind of happened by accident. The riddle was the last song I wrote on 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 that album because I, I literally had two weeks to write nine of those songs. Mm. 
um, because I was pr- promoting the first album uh, at the same time. And I didn't, uh, my producer came over and he left and he said, yeah, it's, it's, it's some good stuff on there, but I can't hear the first single. So I, I, I literally went upstairs and I wrote the tune to the riddle and I, I, we were in probably the, the week, the next week or the week after in the studio. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll put a lyric down just to demonstrate the song. So I did what I still do sometimes is if I've got a song and I can't, can't nail the lyric, I'll just write you know scrambled eggs some some nonsense in in there um and then i'll tweak it and and just change a few things and it's quite amazing sometimes how little you have to change mm-hmm. to get a song that actually means something or resonates with you it's yeah. quite, quite weird so I, I this is what i did with the riddle so i just wrote words that rhymed and fit the meter of the song just as a sort of template and then we, we started recording the song and I put this down as a guide vocal and we lived with that for quite a long time. And I came back a few times with, with some changes to the lyric just to make it, you know, just to bring it into something that made sense. And everybody just, nobody liked it. Nobody, it just didn't sound right. We got so used to the nonsense. It didn't sound right. So I said, well, okay, all right, let's, let's keep the nonsense, but what am I going to call it? I'll, uh, I'll call it the riddle. Then people will think it's a, it's a, it's a riddle. All right. So it's about something. And that, that, um, I, what I didn't expect is, is for people to get so immersed in it and involved and, yeah. and I'd receive manuscripts of, of detailed description about who the old man of Aaron was and yeah. where the hole was and, and all this kind of stuff, like some bizarre treasure hunt. Uh-huh. Uh, and it got to a point where I couldn't backtrack and I couldn't say, well, actually, it's about nothing. I mean, radio stations were setting competitions and, and prizes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Nick's coming in next next week, and he'll tell you all about the riddle. And it's, no, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I feel like this is a bombshell of like information here that the riddle doesn't well, no, actually I'm, mean anything. It isn't really. I think most, most uh, that that's an old story now. Most is people it? know that one. They, okay. Yeah, they, they became a safe time to actually. Okay up to that yeah that's great that's great okay a couple of a couple of listeners philip hopwood and sugar mouse asked specifically about you singing the lamia with uh, steve hack wow okay And um, in fact, I was just before we hopped on watching a video clip of you performing it live with him. And mm. it's so powerful. And they both just want to know how that even happened. How were you selected to work with Steve on that song? Um, I'd met Steve. I was a massive Genesis fan to start mm. with. 
Man, really was, but especially um, in, in in sort of early seventies um, Peter Gabriel time. Um, that 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 five people lineup, and he was. I'd met Steve a couple of times. Uh, his bass player when I first met him was was Nick Beggs, um, mm. who is a dear friend of mine. He's great. And then when it came to him doing this album, he, I think he just liked my voice, so he, he he got in touch through Nick and said, "Look, I'm doing Revisited Two or whatever. Is there a Genesis track that you you'd fancy singing?" And with without hesitating i thought i just i'd love to sing the lamp that's such a lovely song um a fantastic tune what i hadn't fig- <laughs> what i hadn't thought about was actually could, if i could sing it because <laughs> having committed to it and he'd done the backing track and he sent it all over and then i i realized that wow hang on a minute this isn't peter gabriel vocals are not not uh, easy to, 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 to get i mean because the, sure. the lyrics are pretty weird the, the, some of the sounds of the words are difficult to get your your mouth around there's a huge range in that song as well it goes really quite high and i'm right on the edge of where it's comfortable for me so uh it was quite a quite a thing to get it down on record and then when he asked if i I'd do it live i thought okay and they would I, we did two shows and one was a kind of a warm-up in 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 a, in a place called aylesbury uh, in the UK, and the other was 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 at Hammersmith. Um, well, I, will always be the, uh, the Hammersmith Odeon to me, but the Hammersmith event in Apollo or whatever it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that. I was terrified because I'm basically that I, I just could not get those head those lyrics into my head. So I had I had a crib sheet of the on stage with me. But of course, when when it all kicks off and the lights are there and you can't you can't read it and there's all these prog fans out there, you know, and I've already had seen loads of tweets, you know, dismissing the fact that I was on the album in the first place. Cause what, mm. what on earth are they getting him on there for? It's just like, yeah. well, I won't be buying it and all this kind of stuff. So I knew there was a kind of, <laughs> I was up against it with these prog fans, but um, yeah. it all went okay. And I, I mercifully got through it without too many stumbles. So that's amazing. But it was very nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. Great to do though. Sugar Mouse, uh, again, he's one of our listeners. I, I assume it's a he, one of our listeners. I just love that name. He was saying he feels like the live version is the definitive version of that song, and it always kind of brings him to tears. And wow. I can totally see why. It's a beautiful thing. Um, by the way, there. I think it was last year, fairly recently, a newer single with your daughter, Izzy, came out called Paranoid. Wind. 
is Izzy becoming yeah. a singer in her own right too? I don't know that much about Izzy. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's always been into her music. Um, and she means she actually went to Birmingham Conservatoire to study composition and stuff um, in her early twenties. Um, and she's always written and always produced and always been into the technology and stuff. And she's just asked me a couple of years ago. We'd never done anything together, and she said, "Do you want to do a song together?" And I said, well, "Yeah, of course." It's great. Um, and then we 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 did Paranoid, and it's all, it all most of it came from her. And I just kind of I think I added a, a middle eight section, okay, and and just followed instruction. <laughs> and see, what I could, see what I could learn off Izzy, and which was a huge amount, especially yeah. in the studio as well. I mean, we we were sitting here mixing, it and I was doing something with with software that I've been using for you know 20 uh-huh. 20 years or whatever like that's so i'm going i'm doing i'm doing it this way and, and she's looking at me quite quizzically and going what are you doing and i said well i'm i'm, I'm bussing these because i'm used to actual physical mixing desks uh-huh. as well. uh-huh. so well, i'm, I'm bussing these to I'm, I'm sending these to this bus and then and i'm doing that and then i'm putting a compressor across there and i'm doing and, and, she, and she said why don't you do that <laughs> 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 the amount of hours I've wasted doing it my way for the no last kidding. Like, 20 years. And then she's so oh, funny. Press that button and it does that. And like, oh, she's God. great. Yeah. That song was really good. Uh, okay. Last thing we're coming up on time. Were you, uh, why were you not a part of Band-Aid? You sang um, it live aid. It would have been perfect for yeah. you to be in Band-Aid too. Well, I wasn't, I, I didn't get the phone call. You have to ask. Oh, really? Oh. I think, I, I think a lot of those people were basically the, the it was just people in his file effects. Yeah, you know, probably. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't in there because I was quite, you know, I was, I was a newbie. True. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that call. What can I okay. tell you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just wondered. It seemed like that was kind of the, you know, that you were coming up, the hot new thing, and that's happening. And, yeah. Okay. I was well, touring. I, I know that, but I don't know. If, I don't know if that. I was. I can't remember if I was actually in the country. I was in the country. I think I was touring in the UK. So, but yeah. I don't know. Okay. When you look back over your career, you've seen a lot. It's been going on for forty years now. What's your favorite memory? What's your favorite story? There has to have been a point when you met a hero, or played a particularly good show, or had a great groupie, or whatever. Collaborated with someone that you love. What's that thing? Oh, there's got to be a few, haven't there? I don't know if there's a thing. I mean, you know, being asked by Elton to, I, I do I have any that. songs? And getting a phone call from Elton John said, do you have any songs? I mean, that was pretty mind-blowing. And, and yeah. recording a duet with him.
um, playing on his on the Kita and 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 that album as well. That was yeah. that was quite extraordinary. He didn't he say uh, you were the, like the best songwriter in the in Britain or something at that time? So, something like that. Yeah, that, yeah. that quote often gets gets thrown back at me. But uh, and which was he was great. He was lovely and and a, a real sort of champion for me. For, uh, in in that period, he's he's a great champion of new music and new talent. He and he's, he is now. He still does it yeah. now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Nearly meeting Bowie. <laughs> nearly. Oh, he's my favorite too. How did you oh, nearly God. meet Bowie? Oh, I can't. It's, it's painful talking oh, about it. Oh, come on, share it. Okay, this is great. Oh well, no, there's uh, three times I nearly met Bowie, and what well, the first time was um at Live Aid, and we were all come off after the after the finale and we all jump into little mini taxis little mini buses to go back to the where the dressing rooms were and i'm sitting on this bus and i'm i'm becoming aware of the fact that someone's humming do they know it's christmas behind me and i think i know that voice and look behind me and <laughs> bowie is sitting on a bus behind me and it's only like a two minute journey i think jesus Nick, you've got to say something this is yes. the, this is why you're doing what you're doing this this guy is responsible for everything that you do and and we got off the bus and i just couldn't my my mouth was completely dry he walked off there and i walked off there and i thought well that's that's my chance blown and about about 10 years later i guess in the 90s i was doing a a bizarre german tv chat show with um and i was in the sort of i was was in a band just playing the music Uh for this for this thing um and I didn't know who the chat show guest was, but I, I, we came off after after rehearsals, and I started walking down a corridor, and it's like just a corridor. There's no windows in it. There's a door at one end, and there's a door uh-huh. at the other. I come through one door, and I'm about a third of the way along when the door opens, and coming through the other is is three people. There's a woman, a girl with a with a headset on and a clipboard, and then there's this big uh-huh. sort of burly guy, and there's Bowie. Oh. And they're and they're walking towards me. I think we're going to cross. We're going to cross in the middle. Yes. And you're going to have to say something. You've got another chance, mate. Go yes. go for it. So we, I get through that, and it still doesn't happen. He, he get he gets. We get adjacent to each other, and I just got, sort of go, all right, and and just carry on walking. Oh no! <laughs> it's worse. It gets worse than that <laughs> oh, because no. after, after after the show um we were supposed to well, well we we just went and had some beers with uh, with the band and and whatever and, and i and, and we went to bed got up the next morning got in a cab to go back to the airport and and another guy in the band was in the car and he, and he said oh the tv producer's not very happy with us and i'm saying why not he said cause <laughs> he, was, he was waiting in a restaurant with david bowie for us to turn up to have, have dinner with him it's like no nick oh man didn't happen Oh man! Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry, uh, Nick. Every time How- Howard Jones comes through town, I go see him. Every time Midyear yeah. comes through town, I go see him. Yeah. Every time OMD comes through town, one of these times, I want you to be on that bill with them. You need okay. to come back here and be with us. All right, love it around, man. I know. I will. If, if someone else invites me, I will come. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. This was a true honor. You're the best. It's my. My pleasure. Really is. Thanks, John. Good. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Cheers, ma'am. Ta-da. Bye-bye. All right. There you have it. Nick Kershaw. I hope you guys get to see him in concert. I'm so jealous. I'm going to have to find a way to get to the UK or somewhere in this fall because I want to see Nick Kershaw. Maybe we can get him over here. Now, next up is Henry Priestman. Now, here's Henry's story. He's kind of a lifer. 
one of those like British music lifers. In the late 70s, he forms a band called Yachts, and they are a fantastic, kind of nervy, post-punk, new wavy, skittery band. They have some success in the States, not actually as much in the UK. They put out two albums. The first one, self-titled, is excellent. They get pegged, they get picked actually by Pete Townsend to open for The Who. After Yachts comes to a close, he joins a band called It's Immaterial, but eventually he gets join he joins the Christians. Now, that name is a dubious name. It's not a Christian rock band. It's a British kind of pop rock band of the late 80s, early 90s, formed by a bunch of guys named with the last name Christian. Now, that was the part of the story that was most interesting to me. They never did a thing over here in the States, unfortunately, but they were multi-platinum over there. They, they, they had huge hits, like Words, this song right here, Forgotten Town, uh, Ideal World, The Bottle. They, they covered Gil Scott Heron with The Bottle. Anyway, that lasted for about a decade, the mid to late 80s through the mid to the mid or so 90s. After that, Henry has been solo ever since, and he's put out a series of really wonderful little folk albums, basically. And so I thought it'd be really interesting to hear, you know, what his story is. Plus, I love British music. I love all the music he's worked on. And uh, he's got a ton of stories, including working with uh, Paul McCartney. And uh, he, he toured and played with Echo and the Bunnymen. He's from Liverpool, so he knew those guys. And a bunch of other stuff. Anyway, check this out. I think you'll like Henry. He's a really lovely guy. So funny and droll. He called me from his home, uh, I think it's outside of Wales, like on the eastern coast of the UK. Well, I have a few things I want to ask you about, but yeah. um, let's kick it off with your Paul McCartney story. I think people would <laughs> love to hear this. So you worked on a charity single with Mr. McCartney. Tell us this whole story. How did this happen? Uh, yes, well, so it was back when, uh, so I was in a band called The Christians, yep. who did nothing over there. I think we once, we went, we came to the States to do a little bit of interviews, you know, some interviews. And um, somebody remembers seeing on the, the Island Records, the chap from Island Records, a piece of paper paper open on his desk. And I think it said something like, these guys ain't going to do nothing over here with that name. You're either going to think we were we were Christians or that we were blasphemers like Jesus and Mary chain. Or, and it was just Gary Christian, Russell Christian, two brothers, and my middle name is Christian. So it seemed a good idea at the time. So to get back to the story, yes, so we were huge <laughs> back many, many years ago in the UK. Uh -huh. um, and we say we did the first album had gone triple platinum. So this was after that. And they wanted the, with this very absolute tragedy of lots of people getting uh, a, a football match where it was overcrowding and trampled people getting trampled. I think 96 people lost their lives. Yeah, 96 people lost their lives. Um, absolute tragedy. So uh, they came to, uh, basically, we were asked alongside Paul McCartney. Uh, Holly from Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Jerry Marsden from Jerry and the Pacemakers if we'd all contribute to this uh, this single of Ferry Cross the Mersey
So we all went in, by, by amazing good fortune, the day we went into the studio, Paul McCartney was there and he was just lovely. He was, he was, he was smashing. So I have a picture of the four of us. I'll send it to you for what the four of us round, round a mic together. I mean, you know, me aged eight, <laughs> thinking in 30 years time or whatever, I'll be round a mic with Paul McCartney. But the funny thing was, it was, it was Ferry Cross the Mersey. Was that a hit over there? I know that. Jerry was Mc that the, yeah, yeah. I know that song well. Sure. Jerry and the McCartney. Frankie, Frankie goes to Hollywood have a version of that too. Oh, right. oh, oh, well, that's probably the one you're thinking of, maybe. Maybe I it is. I thought, I thought they did their own. Anyway, oh, they, yes, I know. They might, they might have done. Anyway, and older viewers might know the song from Jerry and the Pacemakers. So we're doing a new version of it, and it's live, goes on day after day. Paul McCartney goes, like this idea, goes, live, 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 live. We are not sure about How do you tell Paul McCartney that you're not sure about, you know? But I don't think we ended up doing it. But the funny thing was, like, so, um, I know Mike McCartney, Paul's brother, and uh, Mike, and, uh, it was Mike's, it'd been his 50th, uh, and I know Mike wrote his, his wife. So we were invited to the to the party, which was in a, a marquee in Liverpool, or just on the other side of the water there in the Wirral. And uh, obviously everybody, everybody was asking, is Paul coming? You don't, I, I really, I resisted the temptation to to say, but I made sure I knew. You know, is Paul coming? And apparently they're saying, oh no, he was, he, he he set off, but he got stuck on the motorway. And uh, yeah, oh, what a shame. Isn't it? Anyway, that was a that, that was a a, a ruse. Poor and Paul, suddenly, poor Mike McCartney. No one cares about coming to his party. Yeah, well, that's probably. Be there. I must admit, <laughs> part, when I heard that one, oh, well, at least he made an effort. Anyway, before long. There's Paul. It was Linda. Paul and Linda walk in, and um, you know, uh, uh, well, wow, it's him. Anyway, wow. so fantastic. So he gets one played with this little scratch band, right? I, I do pity the bass player. The poor bass player had to hand over his Hoffner <laughs> off the guitar, and they, well, there we were, our own little show oh for half an hour. One, two, three. Well, she were down <laughs> seventeen, and it was um, it was amazing. And then after wow. it. After it, so I thought, well, will he remember us? You know, will he remember anything? So I was in the queue queuing for some food with him, and uh, he he, he did remember. He said, "Yes, I remember that session." Apparently, what he remembers is we all we all took our headphones off after we'd sung and threw them on the floor. You know, like, like rock, rockers do. Sure. And he he nicely put hung his up on the mic, stuff. and apparently we all went. Ooh, <laughs> so yes, yeah, some, some lovely memories, some lovely memories of that time. Really. That is great. Okay, I wanted to hear that story. One of the main reasons why I was pretty jazzed to talk to you specifically, Henry, is because I've always had a curiosity about the Christians. I remember right. specifically the Color album being on some like NRACs in record stores back in the day, right. you know, and at the time. The name was confusing a little bit for the, all the reasons you mentioned. Also, I remember thinking that um, is is it Henry that's the lead singer? Gary, who's the, Henry? Gary is the lead singer. Gary yeah. looked a little bit like the lead singer of Shriekback. They were both bald with right. sunglasses, and so right. I wasn't really sure if they were one and the same or what. And I didn't own any of their music then but i do now i really like color that's a great album and because really? uh, that's that's the one that didn't go down as well it's the first album that was that was huge over here in the uk 
Actually, Colour did really well in Europe, and um, but not not really, you know, certainly so, made it to the states properly. That's why that's why I was so curious about this band because, like I said, it made a visual impression on me seeing it in record stores. I don't think I ever heard any songs on the radio. I might have seen a video on MTV. I don't really remember, but. Was it because of the name that you and you saw in that scratch pad that these guys aren't going anywhere? Did yeah, they, what yeah. was the plan? So the U.S. was just like, we're not touching a band called the Christians. Well, I don't know. I mean, that would have been after the first album. And I remember, we were coming with a with a huge amount of success in yes. in at least the U.K. Europe didn't, uh -huh. I say, didn't really get the first album, but really got the second album. So it would have been between the albums we came to the to the U.S. and all we did was, I think. We did a few, uh, you know, uh, did we do a tally? I'm not sure we even what, did a tally. We did, ironically, we did more more TV with yachts, you know, my earlier band. Mm. But so, we, yeah, we went there and that's we did some interviews and that was about it. Um, and then it became obvious it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> with a, no with a name touring, like though? No like, no, like, opening up for, I don't know, Simply Red or Level 42? or Yeah, whatever. maybe maybe that maybe that could have been an option. Um but then, I suppose then, by then we were back in doing the second album, trying to, you know, the record company wanted to get back in there. The first album being so successful. And uh, so we were back in doing the second album, as I say, which was the one that broke us in, the, in Europe, you know, number one in France, number one single in France. Didn't you write most of the songs? I did indeed, yes. So this is interesting to me because you become, an, you get invited by the Christian Brothers to come, and we should say for anyone who doesn't know, Christian is their last name. We're not talking yes. about Christianity yes. here. And um, uh, you get invited by the Christian brothers to join their band, but then you write all the songs. So I think that's no. kind of interesting. Like, hey, why don't you come join our band? And oh, could you write all of our songs for us too? No, it's not. wasn't quite like that. So what it was, okay. was I was engineering for a band called It's a Material, mm -hmm. um, who had some success over in, uh, uh, I used to be in the band. And by then I sort of left, but I was, still sort of session man and helping in the studio. And they needed um, the uh, some backing vocals. And our manager, Pete, uh, had found um, he'd found the, these five brothers, initially five. And they came in and sang on this uh, song of It's a Materials. And at the end of the session... Which song, by the way? Because I just listened to that album yesterday. I liked it. What, the It's a Material album? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Ed's Funky Diner. That's my favorite song on the album. Very uh, cool. About Ed, Ed Kinehose, the, the artist, yeah. Nice. So 
So um, so I was engineering. At the end of the day, I popped up courage because I wasn't writing. I've done all the writing in yachts, or not all of it, but I was a major writer in yachts. With its material, I wasn't. I was just I was the sort of the as I described the Brian Jones of the band. You know what? Do I, we need some clarinet. We need some sax on this. We need some marimba on this. We need some keys on this. So I, I was, and I just had great fun doing that. In a way, it was nice to step back from not having to do the writing. Uh, but I was doing little bits of writing in, you know, when I wasn't uh, on on the road or doing other stuff. And I had this idea, right? But, and again, another funny story is that um, there's a DJ sadly passed away last year, Janice Long, an amazing DJ on Radio yeah, One. Heard of her. Yep. Yeah, and I was looking for somebody to sing these songs. I've got these ideas, and I remember bumping into Janice in a hotel. I said, Janice, any, any ideas? She said, well, you could do worse than trying that ginger lad out of uh, the frantic elevators, Cindy Rell. It all could have oh. been, yeah. It all could have been. He was in a band called the Frantic Elevators again. Yes. who played Liverpool all the time. Yeah. Uh, so that made, that was one choice, right? And said, and the other one was, she said, uh, "What about Wayne Hussey from the Mission?" I went, He's been oh, on here. I love Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, neither of those. I never got round to doing any of those. In the meantime, I'd met up with the brothers, and um, yeah, so it was just three of three initially. Roger, Gary, and Russell. And Roger left pretty soon after the day after the second second single. It's quite hard being in a band with brothers. Uh, that's <laughs> and, right. Um, History proves that. Yes. Yeah, as you know, I'm just looking right. Well, got the Louvin brothers. I've got the Everly brothers. Who am I? <laughs> you know. Davies, um, Campbell's, all of them, yeah. Oasis, you know, Oasis, the list goes on. Gallagher, the list goes yeah. on. Um, but so, yeah, uh, I plucked up courage. They listened to a song. We started demoing either in the studio when I had downtime after my engineering bits, or I got a little porter studio. I've still got all the demos. And within a year, we were signed to Island Records. And it's incredible. No and I was, by then, we were all we were all 30, probably about 31 Gary be 31, Roger be 34. You know, these days, imagine that, a band. Wow. Sorry, wow. sorry, mate, you're too yeah, old. Exactly. <laughs> well, have you Have you got a song? He'll do, you know. <laughs> now, my, I think my favorite song on the Color album is Green Bank Drive. I don't know what that is. So what right. did you write well, that song? Tell me the story. I wrote that song. I wrote that song. You're picking all the good songs that I've got stories about, you know. I didn't know that. You're good great. you are. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> so that song, Green Bank Drive, is where I first don't know whether I met. No, not where I first met my wife, but where I first sort of 
plucked up courage to um, make a move on her, as it were. Okay, okay. And that is the song, after the party, me walking home down Greenback Drive, sort of kicking cans or whatever, and feeling, wow, she's amazing. And the happy end of the story, that was written in, when was it, 19... 87 happy endings. Oh, okay. she's in the next room <laughs> that's great hey, hey. that is great <laughs> yes now words was a pretty big was that the biggest hit off the album words if i could find words to tell you i'm sorry make you understand just what I say After all that I've heard Well, why should I worry When we ride The fine line Between love and hate If I had been That was, especially in Europe. That was the one that uh, took over. In the UK, it didn't do as well as everybody'd hoped. Uh, I mean, I can't, you know, I wrote the lyrics, but the tune is is a fabulous, written by Shauna Rieder, yeah. and um, features in was it uh, Barry Lyndon? Isn't the film Barry Lyndon? Oh, that's where okay. I first. That's where I first heard it. And I just thought that is the best melody I've ever. Da, 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 it's just so moving. And I was just playing it when we did the first album, playing it on the piano. And Laurie Latham, the producer, he said, that's, uh, that's Women of Ireland, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's beautiful. He said, you should write some lyrics for that. So, uh, so I did. I did. And um, wow. yeah, it was, it's done so well for, so well for us. That's and, great. And the Shiona, and the Arrieta family too. So let me ask you this. You had been, and we're going to, I want to talk about yachts and it's immaterial and everything. You had been already... Uh, invested many years in your life in this music world and it didn't really take off and then suddenly Christians did. How did your life change once you finally became a fairly successful rock star? <laughs> um, I, sorry about that laugh, that inadvertent laugh. The idea of me being a rock star and um, what was great is I was always on the side of stage, usually with dark glasses, the hat, I hid. Uh-huh. Nobody knows who I am. Um, uh-huh. uh, and I, actually, to be fair, Gary Christian, he looked amazing. He still looks amazing. He yes. looks exactly the same. He and he could have played the rock star bit, but we didn't. We stayed in Liverpool. Um, we just, it wasn't like us. Definitely not like me. I just think, you know, I've seen some of these people swanning around, you know, when you do uh-huh. Top of the Pops and you do festivals in Europe and you go, oh, come on. You know, behave, yeah. as we say yes. in Liverpool. Behave. <laughs> Are you in Liverpool now? No, I'm not actually. I'm I'm on I'm on Anglesey. Now, do you know where Anglesey oh. is? I'm trying to remember. It's, I used to live in Cambridge briefly. Right, you couldn't get further away. Okay. From Anglesey to Cambridge. Well, okay. no, we're right. Uh, we're in Wales, so North Wales. Got it. So okay. it's a little island. As if you're going, to, if you were going to Ireland, the country, mm-hmm. you'd go through Anglesey and you get the ferry from here, okay. and it's beautiful. I moved here from Liverpool uh, two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Love it here. Okay, got it. 
uh, let me ask you this. So the Christian brothers, are they, are they black? They all look kind of exotic. Yes, Where yeah. are they from? Yeah. They are. Okay. They're from Liverpool. Yeah. Except a black father, white mother. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And here's you, the, the like kind of redheaded white guy. Yeah. The, the ginge. Exotic looking. Yeah. yeah. The ginge. <laughs> it was, it was, it was when we started, it was, uh, that was the sort of thing is I come from the sort of, you know, new wavy, punky, you know, I was going to Eric's club in Liverpool. I saw, oh, yeah. I saw, you know, television. Wow. What a band. You've got television on your t-shirt for people who can't. So yeah. I, I put Marky Moon only. Well, I put them all on the other day after the uh, sad loss of Tom Belay. But yes, um, I can't, that, that's totally thrown me that. What was I talking about? You were talking about, uh, I was being the ginge in, uh, Oh, the ginge. The yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the idea was, it was a mixture of where I come from musically, which was pop. You know, I'm a love, I'm a love of the Kinks, the Who, the obviously Beatles, Stones, all that, Tamla, all that sort of thing. Uh, and mixed with my sort of punky, new wavy love of that, uh -huh. mixed uh -huh. with the brothers who have the sort of Temptations, yeah. uh, the Swan Silvertones, you know, the Persuasions, all that. Sort of, and they were a five piece a cappella group when, when we, you know, we first, when they first started. Um, and then it changed oh. to say, uh, oh, it's fantastic! They would, so they would do, um, yeah, you know, as we walk along together, so in love. They yeah. always saw these old songs and Ray Charles songs and stuff. So we had a great sort of when we did a live show, we could suddenly pull out a Curtis Mayfield song, or you know, yeah. I'd be allowed to sing. I'd sing the low bit, not the yes. real bass, but I, I, I could. My voice could sort of hide in there. And there is that thing with brothers I and mean, Gary, Gary and Russell's voice together are just. Fantastic. And then Gary can yes. also do the lead and he can do the Forgotten Town. He can do the really low bit too. So it just worked great. Really that, that's great. That that explains uh the happy in hell a cappella version at the end of that album. Ah yes. Yes. You can see the dark clouds gathering in the distance. You can feel the sense of tension in the air. He can read the so-called caring words of wisdom Or oh, they say this place is hell, well he don't care He can read the lies you're putting down But he's still in love with Forgotten Town Happy, happy in hell mm, Happy, happy in hell He don't know where he's beaten He won't lie down and die smile into a frown Ooh. look around it's on the faces of people walking Ooh. by no nothing in this world can bring him down Ooh. cause down at the end of my road my river flows on by I'm looking for no answers no need to wonder why I hear the lies you're putting down but I'm still in love with forgotten town Yes. And that was a great, great thing to do at live. You know, we sort of we'd go, we just go into an a cappella song. Trying yeah. to think which other we did definitely some some by the um, Temptations, what, and then we did sort of Curtis May. Well, I say well, there was a, there was Ooh. a few Rocket Chair Blues by Ray Charles. We did. Oh, it was great to have a few of those. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. on YouTube. There's Rocket Chair Blues okay. on YouTube. I think. Cool. I'll look for it. <laughs> um, why are those albums like not streaming? The Happy in Hell is, but the first two Color and. Uh, self-titled or not why do you, you know you're joking 
They're not over really? here, they're not. No. no. So they're not on Spotify or not over here. Not that I could find. And I looked. I had to put yeah. I had to find them on YouTube. Well, color I already had, but the first album yeah. I didn't have. That is yeah. that is strange. I'll um <laughs> well, you know, as if they'll take any notes of me, but yeah. I'll bark at the people at Island Records. Yeah. Um just that, that's it just seems crazy, you know. Yeah. I mean all it needs is for one of those old songs to be on a, on a film or an advert and something. But uh, totally yeah. agree. hey, totally hey agree. that's the business. That's the business. Okay, so let's go back to yachts then. Yachts are one of those, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, they're just one of those perfectly the skinny tie, the jittery new wave meets punk mix uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, it it's, reminds me of like Buzzcocks and the Knack and those kinds of bands that were really hot at the time. How does the guy who starts well tell me about starting yachts? I mean, are you <laughs> are you just getting totally taken in by that sound and wanting to be a part of it, or what? No, well, actually, oh, I should have brought it with me. Uh, actually, we were we, so we were all at art college in Liverpool. Why did I go to art college? college? You guys Sorry? are your art college. Everything, everything always everything good starts at art college in the UK. Is right, is right. Yeah, might get some great stuff from the state. Talking heads, art college, aren't True. we? Good point. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a, um, but yes, there is a tradition. You know, kinks the who, mm -hmm. the pistols. But you know it's what a, I mean? Yeah. It is, and uh, that was one of the reasons. Well, funny enough, I so I was at, what you do. I'm, I'm from Hull on the east coast originally, mm -hmm. and uh, I went to. So you go for a, a year's poor foundation course. So you go on camp foundation course for a year. And then you choose where you want to go and what you want to do, graphics, fine art, fashion textiles, whatever. So I chose fine art, even though people say, you know, there are no jobs in fine art. <laughs> you know, you'll end up working in a gallery or you'll be a teacher. And there's me thinking, no, I want to be in a band, actually. Yeah. That's what I want to be. <laughs> so I go to um, – my first choice was Leeds, which is quite close to Hull. And uh, interestingly enough, if I'd have got in there, I'd have been in the same fine art year as Mark Almond and Dave Ball from Soft Cell. Really? <laughs> it would have been a different thing, wouldn't it? It would have, yes. I, could it all been so different? But I wow. went to Liverpool. I went to Liverpool where there was this amazing band called Deaf School in the third year. I don't know if you know of Deaf School. I've heard of them, yes. Yeah, well, they're very uh, influential in Liverpool, and they were just pre-punk, but they were amazing, this flamboyant, um, arty, Great songs, um, and it, it spawned Clive Langer, who's one of the most successful producers of the 80s Clive's, and 90s. Clive's been on here a couple of times. Oh, has he? Yeah. Well, Clive was the man who said to me, um, so we were in a band, so I'll start, we were in a band called Albert Dock, which is a dock in Liverpool. Okay. It was just, it was the worst name, but it, it was... <laughs> you actually, it was a bad, bad name. It was, Al, it was <laughs> Albert Dock and the Cod Warriors, because... There's a thing called the Cod War was going on with Iceland at the time. So it was just, the, I mean, typically art college, you know, we, uh, we just had a lot of fun. We took our sort of lead from deaf school. In fact, that they had, sort of, I think, eight people. I think we had seven people in it, and one was a dancer. That was pre-Bez and Happy Mondays, okay. you know. Um, and so it was just, we were covering lots of old, really obscure songs. Some, such a mishmash, you know, Van Dyke Park song, uh, Van Morrison's song. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. And some things like "There Ain't Nothing Like a House Party." Some some soul songs. Some um, oh, all sorts. It was a mishmash of all our record collections, okay. basically. Uh -huh. And we just we were very entertaining. We had a laugh, and it was a sort of three man front line, which was me on keyboards, John Campbell, who 
me and yachts with me and did some material. And then this Peter Hatton, who was a great dancer, and could sing a little bit. And uh, we had great fun. And and we ended up supporting the Sex Pistols at Eric's. So this is 1976. We ended up supporting the Sex Pistols at Eric's. So that's, well, that was, a, you know, an absolutely amazing night, you know, to be able yeah. to do to do that. I should have brought in my the original flyer, which I've oh. seen on Facebook yesterday is going up for auction. One of them's going up for auction for a thousand pounds. So oh. I'm keeping hold. I'm keeping hold of mine anyway. For yes, now. you should. Um, and I won't tell you why my address is either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we were in Albert Dock. Um, then we thought we should take it a bit more seriously. So we slimmed down uh, to f- just a five piece uh, and stayed friends with the people who didn't who left the band. And yeah, just started. That was uh, May '77. In August 1977, uh, we were playing again at this club, Eric's, who were really sort of supportive of us. And uh, they said, do you want to support Elvis Costello? He's coming up. He's doing two nights. So we said, yeah, we're very lucky. It's a sort of sliding doors moment uh, that his record company and his management were there. Mm-hmm. Management said, right, come down to London, support him. He's doing four Sundays in, uh, in September come and support him, you know, uh, on the first one and the last one. As we walked out of the last gig, the, you know, the last one that we did, last of the second of the two shows, uh, Stiff Records come up and said, do you want to do a single? Oh. Yeah. And you just think if that hadn't, you know, if oh. he hadn't been there. Um, so we said, so that, and suddenly within a month, we were on, you know, we were getting played on John Peel. And, and what we was the first single? Well, suffice to say, That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's sort but, of the, I mean, on, the signature song. On America, on the American release, it was a sort of live version. So they, it's the, the British release is the, the, uh, of, of the album. You know, it doesn't okay. have it on the album. It's just on the single over here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Again, that... hey, hey, another song written about my wife. <laughs> this, your current wife? My, wow. The only wife. The only wife. Okay, good. <laughs> But that was, so that was written 10 years previous. To, that was written in 1977. So we've known each other a long time. You know? Oh, my That's, gosh. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Good for you. So were you – now, I think I read somewhere um, that the U.S. sort of warmed to yachts more than the U.K. even did. 
Absolutely. That's probably true because that, you know, you talk about Elvis Costello, that sort of sound was doing pretty well over here. But I think also the, the lyrical content. Uh, it was, you know, because we, we, they were quite wry, the lyrics. They weren't, you know, we weren't angsty. Oh, we want to, you know, we want to smash the system. Um, it was more, uh, there's, a, there's a chap called Gene Scalati who wrote a book in the state, uh, wrote a book called The Catalogue of Cool. I've got it somewhere up there. And in it, uh, we're on, we're there. He says, he, what does it say? Uh, tosses in words like tantamount and, and suffice. And, you know, <laughs> we did, we enjoyed messing with words and just throwing, I mean, ridiculous songs like She Ran Away with the Yachting Type. Call yourself my best friend. Why tell all these lies? If you're trying to rile me. Give some free advice Can't you pick up someone Someone more a fool Not at all impressed I Find your antics true She's gone, I don't believe you She's gone, she should have deceived you She's gone, I won't believe that She's run away with the archetype With the archetype Day. Two years since we started You know anyway And you know I trust her So implicitly She just wouldn't leave with Anyone but me She's gone, I don't believe you She's gone, she should deceive you She's gone What's that all about? You know, you either get it or you hate it. And I think the UK press just didn't, you know, you know they didn't get it. Oh, uh, yeah, but they did. Great. In the States, they loved it. I mean, yeah. all the, some of the, again, the, you know, some of the, um, they do those little adverts on the radio. Yes, yachting types. You're <laughs> waiting for, you know, it's all really British <laughs> and uh, that. that. Like, yeah, it wasn't meant to be like that, but they got us, and, and that was fantastic. Oh, it's good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, Will Sargent has been on here, and uh, I recently finished reading his book. And as you so, me sure, too. Yes, so fun. Especially, I mean, it's all really about those early days. It doesn't cover like the you know the end of the band or the rest of the band. Yeah. So you did you become become friends with the Echo and the Buddy Men guys? I'm guessing. Well, the, the only thing is when we it wasn't until later that really become friends with because at the time when um, all that so that's which so we were sort of. 77 78 and they started they were more like 78 79 by which time we were off touring the states and, and okay. we were in london most of the time uh you know just we were going back hope and anchor the nashville rooms the, the, you know the, we were just gigging all the time or in the studio so it was actually really only got to know them um later on in the sort of in the christians times and then okay. after that which we might come to Later, I ended up being a member on, on you know, session man on a, a European, a couple of European tours, which that's is great fun. That's what I understood, <laughs> and I think you played on both of Ian's first two solo albums, which I think I, I actually like a couple of his solo albums better than some of the Echo albums. They're yeah, well, I, this, 
I suppose in a way they're, they're slightly more songy, aren't they? Yes, um, yes, good yeah. point. Candleland especially is just gorgeous. Yes. I love that album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So did were you, when you came on and played on those albums, was it as an old mate from the from the Eric days, or was it? Well, Ian used to live. They know Ian's wife and my wife, and we were all sort of you know we go up to their house and for the evening for a meal or whatever. And so we got re- we got really close around when 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 did Ian's album come? In? Uh, probably about nineteen ninety or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he just said, "I forget how I first started working with him. It was, I think it was just me being bullshit and saying." I'll have a go. I'll produce you or whatever. And and, and I also his AR person was a chap who signed a Christian, uh, Malcolm Dunbar, and they, he was doing a, um, a tribute album for Leonard Cohen, French oh, called uh, Les Arts du or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's called I'm Your Fan. And uh, I did. I think I produced. Uh, I think, did I do two tracks with? There is a. There is a war, and Lover, 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 which came out as a single. So I produced, yeah, and literally we just started him on my Porter studio or on my computer, whatever it was. And then, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a joy to do. I'll tell you what people don't know about Ian. He's a really good rhythm guitarist, you know, because you sort of see him hanging on the, you know. Yeah. But actually, his playing is just fantastic. Really? really good. Yeah, huh. really good. As I is Will, them. obviously, but, you know, Ian is more so you're strong. Yes, I love them. And I another Liverpool connection, Ian McNabb, he's been on here too. And he's one of my favorite guests we've ever had. He is a delight. Um, he is. Did you work? I assume you, I think you did something with Ian McNabb too, right? Yeah. I played, um, I mean, I mean, in a way, because they're all from Liverpool and, that lot, and I'm not. So sometimes they fall out with each other. Whatever. I'm, hey, I'm this, you know, this ginge from the other, the other coast, basically. <laughs> He's okay as that, Henry. He keeps it. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you know, so I ended up playing, um, you know, keys for the Bunnyman on there. Uh, just, it's called just Echo and the Bunnyman, isn't it? The yeah, Black and White 87 album. album. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm playing keys on that. Um, and uh, yeah, with him at NAB, I'm on uh, Mersey Beast. Like, oh. So I went down to, re- yeah, recorded the, okay. some key.
I'll tell you what, I don't know if you, are you, are you bound to be aware of uh, Sid Barrett, Pink yes. Floyd, are you? Mm-hmm. Well, we did, a, we did a copy, me and Ian uh, did a version of um, Astronomy Dawn Money. Uh, after the, the album finished, we'd been out for the you know, celebratory drink in the local pubs in Monmouth where we recorded it in Wales. And we, we came back, we were just talking about, you know, that first Pink Floyd album. And then Ian just, let's, let's do a version of Astronomy Dawn I went, all right, so the drummer had never heard it before. I don't think the bass player had. Oh, so it just got me in a vein between the sound of me and Ian doing the harmony vocals. Uh-huh. And none of us have got a cassette in <laughs> it. None oh. of us. I know. Every time I speak oh. to Ian, I say, have you unearthed a cassette yet? No, you know. Oh, man. I can't believe I'm not. And it was just really good. It was a fantastic. I believe it. Oh, that's a shame. I would love to hear <laughs> I'm gonna that. Have to, I'm going to have to knock him up again. Oh, sorry. I can't say that phrase. It means different, though. <laughs> it means different things over speak, here. Yes. I'm going to have to speak to him again and uh, say, <laughs> we've, we've got to find that cassette. Yeah, okay, great one, fun working with I would love to hear that. Okay, one last thing about the about Echo and the Buddy Men. The 1987 album, were you involved at all in the creation of any of those songs? Because... One of my favorite Echo and the Buddy Men songs is Blue Blue Ocean, which is on that album. And oh, it yeah. starts out with a sort of a plunky piano. It's a keyboard sort of riff or whatever at the beginning. anything about the creation of these songs or do you just kind of I, come in for I, hire i man oh no they were already done so the part oh. they'd be done and then laurie's right you so i use I, it probably is I'm, i can't swear on that but yeah it, it probably is me doing the, the keyboards on that particular song i'll have to go uh. back and try and remember uh, okay. i know i played on lips like sugar and doo, 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 all those yes. little doo, doo, doo. yeah
Grace on the water Lips like sugar Lips like sugar Just when you think you've caught her She glides across the water She calls for you tonight To share this moonlight Uh, in fact, there's, there is. I'm not too sure how keen on that sound I am now. I listen to it again. I know. Quite a bit. Um, I think it's all over the album, isn't it? Yes, it is. At Did the time, I ruin it's that not album? Great. And I, and I still like a lot of those songs, but it's almost a little too much on that album. And uh, Bedbugs and Bally, who has that kind of dark, is it ham and organ kind of sound? Is well, that that's, too? No, that's Ray Manzarek. Because uh, it sounds now, just like him. Okay. Now, now I tell you, it's obvious. Dun, 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 yes, dun, it dun, is. Dun, yes. Yeah. But it's literally him. I know it sounds like him, but that's no, no, literally no. It's, him it's literally, literally okay. him. Literally him. And there I, was I some have the things CD that, upstairs. I should just go read the liner notes. Anyway, there's some things where I was actually replacing Ray Manzarek because he what he did didn't quite work or whatever. That was Ooh. a bit weird. Oh, <laughs> wow. Who replaces Ray Manzarek? Wow. Yeah, I know. Right? Um, Okay, eventually, I want to talk about some of your solo stuff, because eventually after a lot of this, and there's some other highlights along the way, I'm skipping a lot, but eventually in the last, what, 15 years or so, you start putting out solo albums that are beautiful, and <laughs> they are, I mean, we've, ta we've touched on like every genre of music there is, and now your new albums, the, uh, the solo ones, are sort of folky, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a long ways from the soul of the Christians and the skittery new wave of the of yachts. Yes, uh, I suppose it, there's, there's a link with yachts because of the the sort of wry lyrics. Good it's point. about basically it was a man being in his you know fifty three, thinking, well, <laughs> what am I doing here? Um, <laughs> and that's the first song that I wrote for it, which I thought we were writing for somebody else. Um, it was called Old. It's got the, the tagline, I'm the same age that my father was when I first thought he was old.
Oh. And that just starts off. We were thinking, right, let's get this to Nashville. Let's get this song to somebody in Nashville. So initially I got a mate of mine to sing it because he's got more of an American accent. He can do the American accent stuff. And then it was like, well, hang on, shall I do these? And uh, we just, with me and my friend, Tom, who, who wrote it, you know, we wrote all that album. We wrote that, that album together. And he was the one, I said, well, I'm not singing these. He said, yes, you are. And he's bigger than me. So I ended up singing, literally. I'd not sung since Joss. So 27 years, I'd not oh sung lead. And so I came back and, and it suddenly starts getting, you know, I'm on BBC Breakfast Time being yeah. interviewed. Um, I held the record for being the oldest person ever to have his first album on a major, first, his debut album on a major label or something, something, something yeah. silly. Like, yeah. Stiff, but right? Aren't you on Stiff? Initially, no, well, yeah. initially it came out on Stiff, which was Yacht's record label, and then it came out on, on Ireland. No way. Good so that you, is the, so that's the major label I was referring to. So oh, I, okay. I was back on I was back on a major label. This oh this gosh. you know this no hoper <laughs> who, <laughs> no can't hoper. Sing, <laughs> who can't sing and can't and can just about put four chords together was on a major label. Oh, and I, I've had the last fifteen years have been the best best of all. They're just I such bet. fun now. Yeah, I'm uh, loving it. One of my favorite songs of yours is "Goodbye Common Sense." And balanced debate Informed discussion And admitting your mistakes Come on in arrogance There's no need to repent Goodbye Common sense Oh, farewell equality And sharing the common good Send your scant regards to the unwashed and misunderstood. Hello, you power-hungry man of eminence. Goodbye, common sense. Oh, send me a postcard from wherever you go. Tell me what it's like there. I really want to know. Cause the world's gone insane ever since you've disappeared Hey, common sense, how I wish you were here The reason being, well, it's obvious because, and that song even came out a few years ago and it's more prescient now than it was then yeah. And so when I'm listening to it recently to get ready to talk to you, it's hitting me so hard. Just like, man, this guy is, he's expressing exactly this moment, even though it's not, you didn't write it in this moment. What was going on in your head when you wrote that song? Um, I think it's just the frustration of what's going on in the world. I mean, it's, you know, we've got, I've got a song called Not In My Name on the, the, the latest album I did with my guitarist, Les Glover. Say all the right things, but they don't do right for me. They break a promise as soon as keep it. Raise your hand if you agree. They cover up their sea devices, put their family on a wage, use our cash for their expenses, and our TVs as their stage. Bail out the bank. Sold up our pensions, not in my name. 
And I'm just saying that the hashtag yesterday on Twitter I was seeing, it's not in my name, you know, it's all, it's just, and uh, the first album's one called The Idiot, which is all about, you know, the, uh, you know, the idiots doing fine, basically, yeah. the money men, this and that. It's just, it was anger at the world. Um, but I, I, I suppose with the Christians, we did a lot of social comment. So yes. on my solo album, there's social comment, but there's also things like, you know, looking at my wife and going, God, aren't I lucky to be, and aren't I, you know, I've got one called, um, Oh, I can't even remember my own song. It's called, it's called What You're Doing With Me. Basically, it's like, how come she's... And it, basically, it's me saying, you know, I'm useless, I can't mend this tap when it starts to leak. But when it comes to love, I'm a cut above. You know, it, it's all about... So, I, it, And there's a wryness to, to some of those songs as well, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's wow. nice to... It's nice to have a sort of some... Not all be, it's, a, it's an awful world and, you know, uh-huh. what we're going to do. But I mean, there's got to be a bit of hope. I love it. I love it. So, oh, thanks, John. Yes, and uh, one of the things that in getting ready to talk I was reading about is that you do a lot of ho- house concerts. Is that mm. right? Tell me more Loads about this because so I'm if I could afford it, I would fly you out here because I'm turning 50 this year and my wife finally said, my dream is to have a house concert. Somebody I've had on the show come play in my living room and uh, <laughs> I'm trying to set that up. And so tell me about the logistics of these house concerts. Right, I did my first one in 2010. Uh, when I, somebody asked, would you do a house concert? And I sort of, I didn't know anything about them, really. And I just thought, oh. And it was just me on my own then. But now I have a guitarist with me. I think, oh, not sure about this. You know, what's... Uh-huh. And it was just the most fun. I mean, I bring a lot of um, banter in between songs. I pick on the That's audience. The we have fun. That's the only way I can get through it. I often... I also... What I do say when I send out the letter, when people message me, I send out this little blurb I have, and it basically says, if you or you may, any of your mates can play an instrument and want to get up with a couple of songs, that's fine by me. I'd love it. And it's amazing some of the people who we've got. And then we sometimes keep that a secret. So nobody knows until the last song. I go, right, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> Jolene, are you coming to join me on here? You know. uh, we've done, I mean, we were doing about 60 a year. It, it, it's it's really? sort of, yeah, it was just um, doing loads of them. Yeah, fantastic. That but is great. Slightly, it, COVID slightly put a pay to that. And now, um, you know what? Now I'm actually really enjoying 
spending time with my wife, who's been so patient these last, you know, long suffering. Yeah. So, I, and it, if the idea of me going down, I don't know, spending five hours to go down, and that's two, that's two or three days wasted when we could yeah. be up here having, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I sort of pick and choose now. I'm a bit more choosy, but I've got one coming up uh, in a few weeks' time. Yeah, um, just doing bits Beautiful. and pieces. And it's me. It's me and my guitarist Les, and we have such a laugh on stage. And the great thing is, you just wander in there with acoustic guitar, maybe a little amp. If you, uh-huh. if there's more than fifty, we might bring a little amp or a small PA. But yeah. if it's under thirty, you're just there with an acoustic guitar. There's none of that, you know. Sound checking uh-huh. around the kit. Boom, boom. <laughs> oh, if I never work with a drummer again live, it would be it, it, it'd be fantastic. That's great. Um, and, and I say that I say that as a drummer. I started as a drummer. Yeah. No offense to drummers. So no we try drummers. to we try to cover kind of the business side of here sensitively. And for a guy like you, how does what's without sounding too insensitive? How do, what's your primary source of income? Is that bad? I don't mean no, no, that yeah. sounded. No, no, <laughs> I don't mean point so, to, but how does a guy like yeah. you pay your bills? So you're, you're going all Bob Left sets on me, aren't you? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yes. um, uh, it's funny when I listen to him, you can hear the. Uh, I listened to um, uh, Jerry Harrison Talking Heads last last week, uh, his version, and you can hear him sort of like, this is obviously when all us musicians go. Um, <laughs> right. I'm very fortunate that I, you know, some of those Christian songs still get played. Oh, um, good. Uh, still get played. So I get so, because I'm the writer of most of them. I do still do gigs. I say I'm not doing so many as I was. I was doing loads of gigs. I was doing uh, school workshops and still putting my own album. I mean, the great thing with these little albums of mine. I mean, we we broken even on the last one within a month That's or something right. like that. Because I've got my own studio, do me. There's no, you know, it's 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 a no brainer. Yeah. And I now, of course, I'm a pensioner, so the government <laughs> pays me some money. Hey. <laughs> um, one of the things you had mentioned to me is that you're starting to write a musical, or you have a musical in mind. How does something like that even get off the ground? Because don't you have to like find investors, find directors? By all these people have to contribute to your vision, correct? Well, that's where that's where we're at at the moment. So, okay. um, are you, you you remember the Corin Bailey Ray put your records on? Yes. Yeah. Well, John Beck, a friend of mine, uh, wrote that, and then a couple of years ago, probably a bit more actually, he said, "Henry, I think this was his description. I think he said, you do poignant and ribald." I went, "Yeah, you know, I can make people cry, and I hopefully can make uh-huh. people laugh." Do you fancy helping me with the lyrics? Uh, helping me with the, these songs for for for. So basically, musical is about his dad who ended up in a, a care home with Alzheimer's. Mm. So it's it's um, it's harrowing, but it's also life affirming. Yes. And the real, you know, um, there's some really sad songs which I, I play live, and I've had people in the audience, you know, when I've explained what happens in the in the actual um, music, the play itself. Um, but there are also some hilarious ones like stick your computer up your ass, you know, um, which is what his dad actually said. They were playing, you know, so we just, and I do that in a sort of, uh, uh, sort of like, are you aware of the Bonzo dog band, Viv Stancil? I yes. do almost do that, do that in a Viv Stancil. So it's great for me. I can become this actor, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got one called, uh, what's it? Uh, we recommend you take sodium valparate and nirazapan when required. <laughs> <laughs> and we do it in barbershop. 
<laughs> we do it in bar. We recommend you take sodium vaporate and lorazepam when required. And so it's bonkers. I mean, it's lovely. That that so that is. But again, there's a seriousness to that song because it's basically they were just filling in with his dad, filling John's dad with with drugs. You know, basically yeah. keeping quiet. Yeah. So again, although we do it and it's uh, light-hearted, I suppose. Um, but then we've done all the songs, thirteen songs. Really pleased with them. I'll put a couple on my next album. Um, but now it's the case of well, John. John's sent off to the Arts Council, which is a thing in the UK where you hopefully get things off the ground. It's really tricky. It is tricky. So we've got this musical. We're still we're not given up on it, but um, it was looking great before COVID, and then suddenly the, the sort of momentum's gone, and we, you know what I mean. Um, yes. But yeah, I've got some great songs on it. Really good. good. Ooh, that'll yeah. be fun. I hope that works out. Okay, I just have a couple more minutes. I want to ask you about a few more things that you people you've worked with and stuff. First of all, you was it yachts that opened for the Who? Yeah, we did. We did a tour with the Who. Yeah, in the in the um, in Europe. So you know, Munich Olympia Hall. This little band who've never been well, <laughs> we were suddenly off on these massive stages. Essen, Zurich, Hamburg was it? It was about six, six or seven dates, and that was in 1980. Wow! Did they even know who you were? Did you interact with them very much? Uh, well, Pete Townsend chose our cassette. You remember Ooh, cassettes, do you? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where you did it. I mean, it's amazing now to think. Yes. They're so unreliable cassettes, aren't they? They're sort of the speed change. The idea you were sending out to try and get on this tour, and we got on the tour. He was great. He was lovely, was Pete. Um, you occasionally hear, you know, bottles being smashed and fights, and he flew home one day, and is the tour off? We don't know. <laughs> well, we'll carry on to Zurich and assume it's back on, and he flew back the next day. But it was all off for a bit, you know. Yeah. Hey, that's... You know, that's a volatile band. I've been in one of those bands. I know all about it. Yeah. Let's see, 1980. Would that have been around the first farewell tour? Were they doing uh, that then or no? Probably. No, no. It was. It would be. Who are you? Wouldn't it? It's uh, okay. it was Kenny Jones. Kenny Jones. Okay. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. I finally saw the Who live for the first time just a few months ago here in Denver. Wow. Yeah. It was great. I love them. And, um, but what I mean. How, when you find out that, that Pete Townsend has heard your little band's tape and says, I want these guys opening for us in Europe, that phone call must have blown your mind. <laughs> well, it did, and it especially blew our guitarist, and, uh, the yeah. fellow singer. So I did a bit of singing, Martin Watson, guitarist. He was a massive, massive Who fan. As was I, but he was even more, you know, a lot of his influences. You can hear it and the guitar playing it. It's Pete Townsend, you know. Yeah. So Pete Townsend and uh, Bill Nelson, I always think, Martin's guitar sound. Oh. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was just amazing. We couldn't believe it because okay. at that point, I think we were just about to – we'd done the first album and we'd done a tour of the States, sort of like 40-day tour of the States, and it had gone amazing. They really got us – and you're just thinking, this is, you know, we were on most added on record on Cashbox and Billboard, along with Bob Dylan's Saved and Van Morrison's Some Other Thing. We go, what's going on? This is crazy. So I must admit, we were thinking, this is it. And in a way, it was possibly good that, it, you, you know, it didn't happen. And I was yeah. able, I didn't become this obnoxious ginger knob, you know. <laughs> okay, somewhere along the line, too, you work with Johnny Marr. Is that right? Yeah, that was on that was on an Ian McCulloch solo album. Oh, really? Yeah, did yeah. Johnny play on what did he play? No, on? no, it didn't happen. The tapes got stolen. Oh. In fact, Johnny was actually 
I think he was here in this room, in this room when we heard the news that um, the tapes were stolen from a van. It always seems a bit of a strange story to me. Because, yes. Yeah. <laughs> hello. I'm, hey, I'm not going there. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> but one of the songs that came from it was uh, Nothing Lasts Forever. I want it now. I want it now. Not the promises of what tomorrow brings. I need to live. Dreams today. I'm tired of the song that sorrow sings, and I want more than I can get. Just trying to, trying to, trying to forget. I'd walk to you through rings of fire and never let you know. Under skin is where I hide Love that always gets me on my knees And I want more than I can give Just trying to, trying to, trying to forget Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Remember that song? It's uh, on Evergreen. It was a big single oh, over here. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Nothing ever lasts forever. And originally, yeah. the, the chorus went, never, 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 never. And I remember thinking, it's all right. And then it's funny, just change that lyric that Matt changed it to, you know, nothing ever lasts forever. Made it, gave you sort of that, yes. you know. Really? Wow. Okay. So I love, I love Johnny. Um, I just saw him. Oh, well, he's, a, he's a wonderful, lovely, lovely fellow. That's what everyone who's been on, who's worked with him just goes on and on about what a nice guy he is. Hmm. Um, he opened for the killers. I just saw hit them in concert here a few months ago too. Um, yeah. So, Henry, what a life. I mean, I'm just <laughs> not to, I mean, first of all, there's your own output with all the great music you've made. And then there's the great people who either like what you've done, want you to play on what they've done, want you to open for their band, want to get, go get a beer with you. What a life, you know? What a life. What a life. It is. I, I, I pinch myself and think, as I say, as uh, age date with. From me to you by the Beatles, you know, mom, mom, yeah. mom, I want that. Can you buy, will you buy me that? And literally, I was that age when everyone kids were buying, um, you know, comics. Yeah. I was buying disc and music echo. I've still got them. I've still got some of my old copies. And uh, I was just hooked. And that's all I really ever wanted to do. I was just, uh, I mean, I didn't think I could write. I didn't know I could write. It wasn't until the aforementioned Clive Langer said, well, why don't you write your own songs? And you go, uh -huh. how do you do that? You know. Well, basically, yeah, I, you know, I nicked a few chords off uh, Moses of Invention. and Everyone uh, steals. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Everyone does, yes. Well, that's great. I, um, I love everything you've done, and it's all different, and it's all diverse, but it's all great. And uh, I just thought it would be fascinating to hear from you. Thanks for chatting with me, Henry. Oh, it's been fantastic. I've had such fun. It's been Good. great. Me too. 
All right, there you have it, Henry Priestman. Isn't he a funny guy? I love that. He is such a nice dude. We didn't get to play as much Yachts as I would have liked, so this is another killer track off that first album, Love, love You, Love You. Um, check out his solo work, all of it's uh, streaming pretty much, and uh, go back and listen to the Christians or Yachts or it's Immaterial or whatever. Now, uh, we're going back to what I kind of announced a couple of weeks ago. The next at least two weeks are probably going to be American punk slash post-punk slash new wave artists. Both of them are lead singers. One of them continues on as a solo artist. The other retired long ago, but has some new stuff to discuss. So that's what's coming up the next two weeks. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Uh, by the way, folks, we put out another book club this weekend. It's the story of Donny Iris and the Cruisers with the author DX Ferris. I'm going to be giving away a free copy of that book this weekend, or drawing for it anyway. So if you didn't listen to that episode, go back, join Patreon, $2 a month, and it'll put you in the running to win any swag we have. Uh, you guys know you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, sort of, not really, at the Hustle Pod. We have a bunch of bonus material. Hopefully, Yan can get to it all. We have a deep dive, a really big deep dive, actually. And then at least two book clubs, all in the can. Plus, we're going to be recording the recap in a couple of weeks. Plus, I'm planning a couple of panels. So anyway, there's a ton of stuff. Hopefully, poor Yan can get to it all. Uh, we'll put it out when we can. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, 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 yeah